Man, guys, what's going on? Y'all having a good night so far? Cool. Uh, like I said, my name's D-Chan. Um, it's a privilege to be up here. I get to serve with the young adult staff here, so definitely safe to say it's Tuesdays. Uh, you can kind of say it's like my favorite day, you know, out of all the days of the week. Um, so if it's your first time here or if it's your first time in a long time, I just want to welcome you. Hope you guys have been feeling connected, feeling loved. We know we prayed for you guys, everyone in this room, and we've just been so expecting on what God is going to do tonight. Man, so a little bit about myself so we can get acquainted. I am from Malaysia. I was born and raised on the playground where I spent most of my days. And anybody, Fresh Prince, come on, some of y'all, some of y'all cultured like that, and I love it. But being in Malaysia, it's hot. It's hot year-round. And so when I moved to Missouri, one of the things that really hit me that is kind of my guilty pleasure slash I really love is the fall. Any fall fans in here? Like the season, the fall. Like not falling down like me. But something about the fall is just so, so special, okay? I mean, think about it this way. There's nothing better than waking up and it's kind of like semi-dark, semi-light, and you go to your dressing room or your closet dressing room, who's here that bougie? You go to your closet and you open it up and you're like, hmm, which hoodie or crew neck am I gonna wear today? Which one am I gonna conquer the world today? You throw that sucker on and it's cozy. You're like, I love this thing. It's, it's so cold out, but not too cold. This hoodie crew neck is gonna be nice. And then you walk outside, you open that door and you just, you breathe in that fresh, crisp fall air. There's nothing like the fall. It is the season for pumpkin spice lattes. I mean, come on. That is a good time. And the other thing that I personally love, some of y'all might love too, about the fall is this. It is football season. Football is back. That's what I'm talking about. I got someone in here who loves football. We got college football on Saturdays. We got the NFL on Sundays. Specifically, I'm an NFL guy just because when I went to college, I went to Missouri State, and if we got any Bears fans in here back in the day, we, uh, let's just say we're on the up and up right now. But NFL is my jam. The one thing, though, that I was not expecting when I moved to Southwest Missouri was the amount of Chiefs fans I would come across. Any of y'all Chiefs fans in there? Okay, yeah, I see a Chiefs crowd. And y'all are rowdy, right? Chiefs fans, low-key wild. Arrowhead is a crazy stadium. I've got to meet a bunch of Chiefs fans over my years. However, guys, there are two types of Chiefs fans in my mind. The first type, we got the OGs, we got the diehards, the ones who've been rocking with the red and gold since way back in the 70s, and well, not 70s and 80s, they were bad back then, but like in their mediocre years in the 2012s, 2014s, these fans are the ones who persevered with the Chiefs during the hard times. They had incredible players like Jamal Charles, who can rush like no other, and yet they fall short of the Super Bowl, right? These are the fans that know every lyric to the song Red Kingdom, by Tech 9 Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It's, it slaps. Great song. It hypes you up, right? These are the diehards, the OGs, the ones who've been with the Chiefs through thick and thin. 
They've persevered, they've endured all the hardships, and now they're seeing glory with Patty Mahomes. Come on. Now we got the other type of Chiefs fans. This is like, if I had a spectrum, one side is the OGs, the other side is what I like to call the new breeds. Can you look at each other and go, ooh, no? The new breeds. Anyways, the new breed of fans, they're a whole different type. Like, they're also rowdy. Like, super rowdy. They're, they're crazy wild, passionate people. These guys or girls also love the color red. They love red, but they might love red for a different season. I mean, different reason. I like to classify this new breed of Chiefs fans as Swifties. Yeah, 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 the Swifties, right? And fun fact, uh, I saw on NFL.com that Fanatics, the jersey website that sells, you know, football jerseys, Travis Kelsey's jersey, the purchase rate went up by 400%. So people are out there dropping a buck on a nice Travis Kelsey jersey. They're rocking 87 like it's no one's business, right? There's two, side, there's two types of Chiefs fans. Now, I won't personally disclose which type of Chiefs fan my wife is. You guys figured it out. Um, but after service, you guys should go and ask her who the backup quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs is. She's right there. Babe, can you raise your hand? Sweet. Ask her who the backup QB for the Chiefs is. Um, all that to say, jokes aside, I do love the fall. The fall is an incredible time. It's so fun. There's so many fun things. It's a cold, cozy season, but it's also a season where for a lot of us, it gets busy, right? Because the fall for some of us is when we start school again, when a new semester kicks in, a new class load fit comes in, and you're trying to figure out how can I manage my time? How can I honor God in this season? For some of us, you're already working. You've been grinding through the summer. Ain't no stopping for y'all. And yet, in the fall, it starts picking up, right? People are back, families are home. And what's more, it's the holidays. It's coming up. We got Thanksgiving, we got Christmas. Um, you gotta prepare for the new year. For me, it's like Chinese New Year's coming up in Malaysia. I gotta support, you know what I'm saying? The fall brings a lot of new things. So many things, all trying to fight for our attention. And if we're gonna compare it to the Chiefs, just like the Chiefs have the end goal of winning the Super Bowl, we, as followers of Jesus, have an end goal of running the race that God has set before us. And what the end goal is, is that once we go on and we leave this earth, our hope is that we've ran the race with perseverance and endurance, that when Jesus sees you, he's gonna say, well done, my good and faithful servant. However, culture will tell you something else. Culture will say, when, you're, when life gets busy, just take a step back. Just chill out, focus on, focus on something else. I mean, like you see all the times, like, do you, boo, do your thing. But no, scripture says a whole opposite thing. Scripture says the complete opposite. And we're gonna see that tonight, where this is gonna bring us into what our book of the Bible we're gonna be going through, specifically the chapters and the verse. But the book we'll be going through tonight is the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, and that's in the New Testament. If your Bible, flip over there. If not, open your Bible app We have and go to the events page. We'll have all the notes, all the scriptures on there, and we'll have them on screen. And just a little bit of background before we really dive into the book of Hebrews. 
the author, there's no verification of who it is. Depending who you ask, what scholarly article you read, some might say, could be Luke, some says it could be Paul. We don't have really a final verification, but what we do know when we read the book of Hebrews is who they're writing to. And the author here is writing to some Jewish Christians who are struggling in their faith because of persecution and because of hardship. Anyone feel like that sometimes? That, man, you're walking in line with what God has called for you, you're running the race, you're being obedient, you're being faithful, and sometimes life gets hard. You have a couple hard conversations. You start struggling, you start spiraling, you get anxiety and like, what's next, what's this, what should I do? I want more, I'm getting FOMO because I'm not doing this thing. And it just kinda gets so quiet, right? Like, anyone see that in like a movie? It's like action pack, action pack, action pack. Quiet. Sometimes that's my brain. And so the author here is writing this letter to encourage these people, these Hebrews. And so before we dive in, um, the verses we're gonna be reading is Hebrews 12, verses one and two. Before we do, I would love to pray um, for us, everyone could bow their heads. Uh, Lord, just thank you for today. Thank you for this team. Thank you for the people in this room. You've provided everyone here. You've brought everyone here for a reason, for a purpose, um, whether they know it or not. So God, would you just bless this room and teach us out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Hebrews 12, verses one and two. We'll have it on the screen as well. It says, therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And so what we see here in the book of Hebrews, the author starts out really here, he gives us kind of this illustration. He gives us this illustration that we're running, like we're on a track, we're running to something that every follower has a race to run. But not only that, he gives us this illustration that people are cheering on you, right? He says this great cloud of witnesses. And who the author is referencing here was the champions of faith. So people of the faith who've gone before you and have run your race obediently and faithfully. We call it the hall of faith. It's in chapter 11. You'll see incredible names that you've probably heard of, you've probably read of. And he's saying, these people are here to cheer you on. He gives us this picture of like a, I think of like a coach, you know, or like maybe some of y'all high school athletes back in the day. I only made JV, so I'm not a varsity guy. But you go back to your high school and you're just hyping up those JV and varsity people and you're just trying to encourage them. You're trying to cheer them on with their race. It's kind of like a sporting event. And so in this past, in this letter right here, he gives us wisdom on what we should do and how can we do it. And what that means is he get, the author gives us wisdom on how to run the race efficiently, but also consistently, and one that will last you until God calls you home. And this is gonna bring us to our first point of the night, um, and we'll read it again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge 
crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. If you got a notebook in here or if you're someone who takes notes, that is our first point for the night. As we run this race, how do we run it successfully? We run it by laying aside any weight that will weigh us down. Think about it, it makes sense, right? The author knew what he was doing. He probably ran a couple miles back in his day since they didn't have cars, you know. Camels can only go so far. But think about it this way. Anyone who runs an ultramarathon, a marathon, who's in the Olympics, they all have one thing in common, right? They all have one thing in common. That one thing in common is this, is that they run light. The key word here is light. They run light. They don't carry weight because all that would do is slow them down. And here the author gives us two specific things that we should cast off as we're trying to run our race, run this race. What two things do we cast off? Number one, sin. He says the sins that cling so closely. And I mean, what is sin? Sin is anything that goes against God, or sin is anything that pushes you further away from God. And he's saying, Sin that clings closely, that means that we all have a natural sin tendency or something that attracts us to sin that is pushing us or potentially gonna hurt our relationship with God, right? So what is that for you? Let me ask you guys this. As you're sitting in the pews, I want you to think, what is something that might be a habit in your life that is sinful and that could be pushing or prohibiting your relationship with God to progress forward? Could it be pornography and masturbation? Could it be lust? Could it be the approval of others, right? Could it be, man, I need to get those social media likes, uh, make sure people love my thread. I think that's what people call it, right? The new thing on Instagram. Whatever is that for you? Could it be your attitude? Uh, I think I, I, Tim Keller, a, a pastor who, who passed on, um, he said this in his book, A Meaning of Marriage. A tendency to hold grudges could be a problem with friendships, but within a marriage, it can kill the relationship. And I remember I read that and I'm like, dang, sometimes I got a big attitude problem too. Sometimes I'm thinking I need to be entitled because I'm doing all these things. But in reality, God calls us to serve and to put others first, not myself, right? And it might not be any one of these things that I've listed because that's only a small list. Could it be just the plain love of the world that you have? Has the world have some, does the world offer you something in your brain that you're like, man, God's great. Like, he died for my sins, but like, I don't truly believe that he's all that. What, what is that? What is that for you that is kind of making you one foot in, one foot out? Scripture says you cannot serve two masters. It makes sense because you cannot run two races at the same time. So it says, cast away your sin. Lay aside the sins that weigh you down. And then the next thing he says is, lay aside the weight that lay you down, that slow you down. And what is a weight, really? A weight is something that holds you back, right? But here's the thing. There's really no positive or negative thing that's associated here. I think a weight could be a good thing. It could be even a great thing. But is it a God thing? 
Is it something that you're taking this thing on and you're like, this is great, for sure. I gotta do this, this is fun. Obviously, I gotta be a part of this group. Obviously, I gotta go to this hangout. Obviously, I gotta go play volleyball, whatever it is. Good things, great things even, because you're in community sometimes. But the question I, I ask you to, urge you to kind of look at when you're trying to figure out, is this a weight that will hold me down, is this. Will this activity, or whatever this thing is, will it help me run in my race with God? Or is this something that's really just gonna weigh me down? And sometimes it's hard to discern these things. But this is when you come together in a community, you pray, you fast, and you try to figure out, man, is this, whether it's a big thing or a small thing, is this something that's gonna help in my walk with God? Will it help me run? And we, call, we ask the Lord for wisdom and strength here. So that's point one. Lay aside what weighs us down. Not only does the author give us what we need to be doing to be successful in our run by laying aside every weight and sin, but it also gives us the, the description of how we should run, right? And we looked at this in Hebrews 12, verses 1. Again, uh, it said 1b. He says, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So that means that we all have a race to run here. It's all going to look different. I think there is an individual race and a cohesive race. Individual race is the race that God has placed on your life and on your life and on your life and only on your life because of how he created you in a unique way. He knows that through the creation of who you are, what your race is individually is gonna bring him glory if you run to the end. And then there's the cohesive race. The cohesive race of every believer is this, is I get to the end and I hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. But the way we run in a race, specifically a marathon, what's needed is endurance. Not only endurance, is if you ever watch people run a marathon or like an ultra marathon, there's a guy by the name of David Goggins. Anybody heard of David Goggins? Dude's like a gangster Navy SEAL dude, been to like three hell weeks, it's unheard of. My man broke all the bones in his feet running like a 100-mile marathon. My man is a whole different breed. But what I will say about him that I respect, that every runner needs, that boy gritty. Like, he's gritty. That boy will grit his teeth and run, as we could tell. And a marathon requires grit. It requires a heart, a strong heart to continue moving forward. And it, conti- and it, con- and it needs endurance. And-, and we see this word endurance. In- within scripture, it- there's a reference to the Greek word that relates to endurance. I'm gonna botch this, but it's spelled H-U-P-O-M-E. Hupomene. Sounds right. And what that means essentially is that this endurance the author is talking about here, he's not talking about a passive, let me just sit down and wait. Oh, man. Uh, he's talking about an endurance that gets back up, that moves forward, that trucks on, no matter what happens. When life gets hard, he continues moving And it makes sense why he writes and uses this word, hupomene, to the audience. Because think about the audience he's writing to. The audience he's writing to are Jewish Christians who are falling away from the faith, right? Because they're getting persecuted. Life is hard. 
struggles come, whatever it is, they are taking a step back. They're not enduring. And what he's trying to say is keep going. And when I was reading this, I was studying this, a little bit about the background of the audience. It's crazy because the audience he writes to, these are believers who are witnesses. So like they saw Jesus with their own two eyes. They witnessed him or they witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, okay? So they've seen Jesus, they've seen that man die, and they've seen that man rise up again. And not only that, there are people in here who've placed their trust in Jesus because of the miracles that he's done. So these people have had the full spectrum of who Jesus Christ was, life, death, resurrection. And yet, they struggle. Yet, the author needs to cheer them on, right? And I I was reading this, and I'm thinking, bruh, like, why? Like, you got to witness the God-man himself come and die, resurrect, and do miracles. Why are you still struggling and need encouragement? That hit me. The Hebrews, those people are us. Those same people that are struggling during hard times, those people are us. Because we do the same thing. Think about it. We, we get on fire on, for God. We catch this flame, flame. We catch this vision. We're like, I am going to share the gospel. I am going to do small group. I am going to hang out, serve until the ends of the earth. And life happens. Time goes by. You get older. Some people get cynical. Some people get pessimistic because of life. Maybe an, an, a prayer wasn't answered in the way they thought it was going to be answered. The hard questions start showing up, and they're like, oh, well, God, are, are, you, are you still there? And I think like we, we say that, and I say it on this stage, it sounds like, well, duh. But it's really such a real thing. I, I think every one of us has been there, most likely. You've been in a hard season of life where you're like, where are you, God? Where are you when my family member got sick? Where were you when my two fraternity brothers committed suicide? Where were you when no one got healed? These are the hard questions that we all face because that's part of the human condition, life and death. And this is also why it is so important that we be in community, right? I think of this passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. It talks about the parable of the sower. Some of you guys might have heard it. And I'll I'll read it for us. It says this, Matthew 13. As he scattered them across the field, talking about seeds. He's using this analogy of farming. He's talking to people, and Jesus is Jesus talking. Some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted, Quickly, because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Right, so 
the author of Matthew, Matthew, he writes and gives this illustration here that Jesus is talking, Jesus gives this illustration of seeds being planted or seeds being put in different areas, right? Each seed represents something else, something different, someone's different walk with faith, perspective on who Jesus is or whatnot. So some fell in the shallow soil with underlying rock, right? These are people who profess your faith in Christ. They're like, I'm in. Jesus, you are it. However, because of some reason, they started backing up. Maybe it was lack of community. Maybe it was not being able to spend time in the word. Maybe it was just the struggle of life. And what happens is these people who profess Jesus as Lord started backtracking, okay? The other ones were the ones who just died right away under the hot sun. So these are maybe people who you sh- the gospel's been shared. They've heard the gospel. They're not about it. They're not about it. And the last one he talks about is the seeds that fell on fertile soil. People who've heard the gospel, they believe it in their heart. They've placed Jesus as Lord and Savior. And they're saying that no matter what, even when it gets hard, Jesus, you're still good. Jesus, you are still good. As you sit here, I want to ask you, and I want you to think about this. Of these seeds, which one are you? Realistically, be honest with yourself. Because there's no point in lying to yourself. Be honest. Right? When hard things happen, will you trust in the Lord and continue walking your race, running your race after him? Will you still believe that he's good even when he doesn't answer and give you everything you want? And the author here knows this. He's saying, hey, keep fighting. It is worth it. The people I've listed before in Hall of Faith in chapter 11, they all saw that it was worth it because they knew that the prize was Jesus Christ. And this theme, right, of perseverance, we love it. It permeates in our culture even still to this day. We see themes of uh, perseverance or endurance in in our music, right? We got Eminem, Lose Yourself Sometimes. That's that's one of those bangers. You got movie, you got TV shows. It, It shows up everywhere in subtle ways that you might not even think about to endure through hard times. And I think of this movie, incredible movie. Anybody movie people here first? Raise your hand. Come on, you're my people. Um, This movie came out in 2003. Some of y'all weren't even born yet. But this movie came out in 2003, and this movie exemplified, and I mean exemplified what it takes to persevere in life, to set your eyes on the prize and to run after it. The premise of this movie was this dad would go through anything and anyone. He would go through hell or high water to find his son that has been kidnapped, okay? This dad was not taking no for an answer even when he got beat down, even when he met the scary sharks, even when they say fish aren't food because they're friends. Of course I'm talking about Finding Nemo. What did you guys think I was talking about? Finding Nemo, 2003, incredible movie that shows perseverance. 
Glad I could lighten the mood up. I, I felt I was getting a little intense here. But Finding Nemo, incredible movie. Right? I think of Creed, too. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about any more movies with you guys. We can talk after. Movies are great. Finding Nemo is one. Another analogy that I think of that requires perseverance and endurance is this thing right here. Some of y'all might be wondering, what is this? This is a tea packet. And I got this tea packet when I went back home to Malaysia. My wife Carolyn and I, we went back home to visit my family after four years. It was pretty cool. It was her first time overseas. I did get sick on the whole flight home, like terribly sick. But part of that in Malaysia is it's a pretty humid climate. And one thing, if you guys didn't know about Asians, we love our tea. Uh, it's really healthy. It's really calming. You got your sleepy tea. You got your chamomile tea, whatever you want. This one is lychee with rose. If you need it, I'll get it to you after. But the whole process of tea was we went to this tea plantation. We call it the bow tea. The pictures will go up there. Um, if not, it's okay. Bow Tea Plantation it is one of Malaysia's biggest tea plantations. Literally, we were there. I didn't take that picture. That was a Google image that I figured would suffice. You get the idea. Like right there, you go out there, it's a sweet cafe. You're just chilling over the edge and you're just like seeing all of the tea in the world. It's, it's beautiful. Gosh, it's so good. You get some tea with a nice scone, it's different. But all that to say, the process that it takes to do this tea, it takes time. They have to plant in the tea bushes. They have to then tend to the tea bushes once those plants start sprouting. And then they also have to deal with weather. Because in Malaysia, we have this season called the monsoon weather. It rains like no one's business. Or you have pests. They have to deal with struggles. And then comes the harvest of the tea leaves, and then it gets processed into this tiny bag. I looked up a little bit of information about this when I was doing research, and it said that it took two years from the process of planting those bushes, two plus years, really, into getting into one of these things. Imagine this. I've drank two years of somebody's time. It is crazy. All that to say, good things take time. And good things are hard. Because if it's not hard, sometimes it's not worth it. It is through the hardships and through the trials that we can come up with a perspective that, wow, this is awesome. That's why when we understand what Jesus did on the cross, we get to see that from that hard trial, from one of the darkest moments in all of humanity, we get to experience hope through his grace. So my question is, will you endure in the hard times? Because here's what endearing means, right? I can throw you all these definitions, but the practical side of it is probably the hardest part. Because if you're gonna endure in your run and you're gonna endure in your walk with God as you grow old, that means you're gonna have to do the hard things when you don't want to. That means you're gonna have to love people when they hurt you. We've all been there. It means you're gonna have to spend time in the word when you don't feel like it. It means you have to show up and serve other people in moments of hardship. It means that you're gonna sit and make the decision that Jesus, you're still on the throne and you're worth it, even when it is hard, even when we don't see any fruit. 
And sometimes we see this, I think of this concept of running this race. If you run a marathon with just the thought of like, I, I have to finish this, the 26 point whatever ungodly miles you have to run is, is this. You'll probably fail if you overthink it, right? Because as humans, we love catching vision. We love the marketing of an incredibly successful business or item. We don't see the behind the scenes, the BTS, as the kids would say, right? And sometimes when we see the final product, we forget that it requires work. So what do we do? We either take a step back sometimes or we freeze. We're like, well, I can't do this. The enemy comes here and he's like, you're not qualified. The amount of the days leading up to this, I couldn't tell you sometimes, if I'm being honest, I'm like, man, maybe I shouldn't be up here. And it's like, all I'm doing up here is I get to teach and learn with God's word with you guys, right? So the enemy tries to put lies in your head. So what can you do if a vision is so big that you can't fathom? Take your next step. You take another step, and you take another step. And if you can focus and kind of intentionally look at the day-to-days, God will provide. God will provide. Because here's the thing about Christianity and who Jesus is. He wants your life, your whole life. But he also wants you to rely on him daily. That's why the Israelites had manna. It was God providing them food just for that day. We just need to take the next step. You're like, what's the next step? Take your next step and read your Bible. Crack it open if you haven't cracked it open in years, or if you've never cracked it open. I know that was my next step, uh, July 20th, 2017, that whole summer. That was my first time cracking a Bible open and reading it for myself. Being in Malaysia, it was very different cultures, religions. I didn't know if this was real, but that was my next step. Maybe your next step is to turn from some sin that maybe you've been harboring and has been culminating in your life, and it, what it's doing is it's spiritually killing you and guilt and shame fill up. Maybe all you need to do, your next step is to turn from sin, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. Or maybe your next step is to show up, okay? Because I think a a big decision or a big moment is a culmination of many small and many decisions. You guys are all in here because of one next step. Right? And I want to challenge you. Take your next step in the sense of community. Come to conference. Come hang out. Chill out. You, you can't beat a weekend trying to grow in your faith. What is your next step? Everyone's look differently. But sometimes it's hard to take a step because we freeze, don't we? And the beautiful thing about this passage here is it gives us this juicy two words, let us. If you have your notes, write that down, let us, right? What do I mean by let us? Let me read it again in case we forget. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that trips us up, and let us run with endurance 
the race God has set before us. This passage and those two words point back to something that all the way to the first book of the Bible that God tells us about humans. We are not meant to do life alone, right? And the author knows this because what happens as humans as we struggle with life is this, we start to forget our identity and we start to isolate. And the author says, no, it's not let you go to your thing, not let you go to your thing like the culture says. He's saying, let us lay aside every sin, every weight, let us run with endurance, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, right? Logan said it earlier, Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. There is power in gathering and in community. So let us, that's my challenge to y'all, let us come together. Because here's the beautiful thing. We all have individual races and we all have communal races, however you wanna say it. The beauty about these races that as we try to lay aside our weight and sin, we throw it all away (laughs) and we get to encourage each other. We get to encourage each other through community. We can help each other and maybe hold each other's hands as we lay aside what weight that the enemy tries to hold us down with. God knows this, okay? So let us join together. So we got first point, lay aside your weights. Your second point, run the race with endurance. And here is our final piece of nugget or wisdom tonight, however you wanna say it. It's gonna be in Hebrews 12, verse two says this, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. How do we run this race? We keep our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And that's our third point. For tonight, and I would say this is the most important one because we understand that our final goal is to be with Jesus, to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That has a reverse effect that I think can translate to the first two points. It means that as I run my race and as life gets hard and I run and consistently run with endurance, I am putting and fixing my eyes on the finish line. I'm not getting distracted. And this is so important right here, right? Because what we fix our eyes on is what we will naturally drift towards. I think of this this analogy I have, but it's more of my own personal life story. I was a senior in high school driving down Eureka. Anybody know Eureka, Missouri? Come on, we are famous for Six Flags. But there is a strip of road that's probably about a mile long. And on that strip, it's still there. There are three back-to-back-to-back stoplights. Don't know why you need that for a small town in the first place. But all these stoplights usually are all in green. So I'm like back senior year high school, I'm fast and furious hitting that, right? And I've done it over and over my whole life. And then one night, I was like, I'm pulling up. I, pro- I don't know if I was paying attention. I'm sure I was. Probably got a taquito, 
for a buffalo bite from QT, and I was ready to go home. And I was coming up on those lights. And I zoomed. And I was like, because here's the thing. I saw that last light. It was green. I said, absolutely, baby. I'm freaking stomping on that sucker. And I said, hmm, right? Only problem, the first two were red. And I got in an accident. Surprise, don't make dumb decisions. Focus. All that to say, because of my downfalls in life, there's some symbolism in here. Right? I got in an accident because I wasn't focused on the right thing. I wasn't focused, in this case, on Jesus. And, and the enemy would love nothing more than to distract you. The enemy would love nothing more than to distract you. Because here's the thing. Satan, sometimes we give him a little too much credit about how powerful he is. In reality, if we look at the book of Job, he had to go to God and, hey, and ask, can I mess with your boy? And God's like, sure. Try him. Hey, what's up? Job, I mean, Satan has to ask for help. The enemy can't destroy us, but what he can do is distract us, right? So what he wants us to do in this time of busyness is take all the things, do all the things, have fun, go to the hangouts, take more roles, take more roles, and take your eyes off the prize of Jesus Christ. He tries to distract you. Like when you go to the beach, I feel like we say this analogy a lot, but you go to the beach, you get on your favorite tube, whether it's a unicorn or a donut or a lobster, and you're just big chilling, right? You, we've been there. I mean, maybe it's just me, but I got burned one time. It was bad. Didn't know I could burn. But I remember I, was, I saw my rents up, up on the beach, and I'm like, I'm just going to go kick it out here for a bit. And I'm like, cool. And I'm slumped, sleeping. Wake up 5, 10, 15 minutes later, and I'm like, where'd they go? I can't swim like that. It's way far out. What happens was I got pulled with the current. We've all, we, you know what I'm talking about, right? We get pulled with the current. And this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants us to either distract us or he wants us to be so callous and apathetic that we stop trusting in the true saving power of Jesus. We start believing in the lie that I don't deserve the grace of the gospel. I don't deserve what Jesus did on the cross. And we start floating. But here's the thing. The author knows this as well, right? Because scripture is spirit-led and it's inspired by God. So he says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Just like a horse in a race with your blinds, you need to continue moving forward until the race is done. The author's saying, do not set your eyes on anything else. Don't set your focus on that human. They might be good for you for a bit. You might seek the approval. You might get the approval. People might love you, but how long will that last? Is that lasting? He's saying, don't worry, because he's saying humans will let you down. Items will let you down. Your looks Eventually, everyone in this room who's a young adult, y'all finna be old. We're all gonna be old. We're all gonna be droopy. Y'all gonna be like me, can't get my water bottle up. Can't place your trust in anything else but Jesus Christ because Jesus is absolute. Jesus is trustworthy. He's lovely. He's faithful. He loves everybody in here. He has you guys in his mind. He is our champion. He's our champion and he's sitting at the right hand of God right 
now, interceding for each and every one of you in this room. He has been expecting of you, and he has been waiting. So if you're someone in this room who's thinking, I don't know what to do. I don't know what my next step is. Okay? You're in the right place. We'll figure it out. And that next step could be joining a small group. That next step could be filling out on that connection card. Maybe I need to know who Jesus is. Your next step could be this. I need to place Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. So, our three gold nuggets from the book of Hebrews is this. Lay aside every weight that holds you down. Run your race with endurance. And fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, I want to conclude with one thing. It's really of probably one of my dearest possessions, I could say, in my life, one of my biggest blessings in my life. And that is my grandma. And we have a picture of here, probably. Uh, she's still back in Malaysia. I call her Pawpaw. Some of y'all think that's a grandpa name. Don't trip. In Malaysia, we call our grandma's Pawpaw because that's what it is in Mandarin, Pawpaw. That's my grandma. And a part of my story is that I was raised to a degree by my grandparents. And my grandma played a role that was so, so powerful in my life. Her life was one that looked like this. She grew up in Malaysia, a multicultural, multi-ethnic, different religion type of country where we have family members across the board of religion. And she would travel to Europe, travel to Britain, and through there she found Jesus. Her life got radically changed by Jesus. She decided and she found the truth that of everything else, Christ is worth it. And I remember when I placed my trust in Jesus, July 20th, 2017, I called her. And there's like a 13-hour time difference. She's like, it's 1 a.m., so I'm like kind of tired. And she's like, wow, I've been praying for you all these years. That's my Malaysian accent, people. That's what I'm saying. And I remember, I don't really think about that because, or like when I tell my story, sometimes it becomes like a, yeah, I told my grandma and I told another guy who's like, cried for me, hugged me, which is also a part of it. But as I was thinking about this, I was like, I'm so blessed because my grandma has been there trying to serve me when I was a punk, because I was. She's loved me even when she didn't get any love back. And she cared for me in a way that I don't deserve. She's a big part of my story. And I was like, I can't not leave this sermon without telling about Paul Paul. And she's still here, don't worry. But the beauty of this story is that me and Carolyn went back to Malaysia. It was the first time I got to see two women I love Two of the women when I love the most, besides my mom as well, is they got to share a table. We love talking back in Malaysia. So if y'all like to talk, come talk, come chat. We love to chat, we love to eat. When we plan lunch when it's breakfast and dinner time, like 24 hours ahead. But all that to say, 
Carolyn had a conversation with my grandma, and I'm just there as a spectator. And she's learning about what my grandma did, how she, she ran for the Lord. She taught um, in, in English school in other countries. She served when she could, and we went to church with her. They got a 45-minute worship session, y'all, before the sermon starts, and that's another hour. They still doing this to this day. But I'll never forget, right, as we sit at the table, these words she say, she told us, told Carolyn, really, is this. I've, I'm retired from teaching. I'm retired from driving. She's old. I'm even retired from cooking. But I will never be retired for living on mission for God. This, to this day, is still one of my greatest champions of the faith that Hebrews 11 talks about. My grandma, my papa, she's in my hall of faith. I hope that you guys will be as blessed as I am and have someone like that in your life because it changes everything. Ooh, changes everything. That tea really got out or something. She will never retire from living on mission for God. She still does that to this day. Running her race that God has set for her individually and cohesively with her community and she is laying aside every weight and sin that will weigh her down. And the most important part, she does this with her eyes solely fixed on Jesus. So my encouragement to you is this. You might not have someone that's praying like this in your family or in your surrounding. This is a good place to start. There are people here who care for you, pray for you, even if we don't know you, we're expecting of you when you come up. So link up arm in arm. Go get a coffee from one of the cool coffee shops around here. And talk about life. Talk about how you can lay your weight, lay your sins down. How you can confess your sins to one another. And how you guys can run your race together as you look towards Jesus Christ. That is the book of Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2.